Shalom Aleichem, welcome to The Schmooze, the Yiddish Book Center's podcast. I'm Lisa Newman, and today I'm visiting with singer Anthony Russell and pianist Dimitri Gaskin. Anthony is a vocalist, composer, and arranger specializing in Yiddish art and folk song. Dimitri is an accomplished accordion player, composer, and arranger specializing in klezmer and Romanian folk music. Welcome, Anthony and Dimitri. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, you've been here for Yidstock, so I'm nabbing you for a quick uh, conversation. Thanks for having us. Um, delighted. So last night you performed, um, and I was swept away in many, many ways. I Thank th- you. Um, <laughs> you're welcome. We were, we were having fun sweeping people away. <laughs> I I think I knew what to expect, but I wasn't sure. So before I jump into that, I thought I, I'm desperately curious how both of you ended up doing the music that you're doing and also collaborating. Well, Dimitri and I were living in the same area. I now live in Massachusetts, but at the time I was living in the Bay Area, and we both uh, kind of interacted in the Jewish music scene of the San Francisco Bay Area, so that's how we got to know each other. And, um, you know, I saw this immensely talented accordion player, and I knew that I had to work with him. So uh, what we ended up doing was working up a a couple of projects. I'd say kind of the first one was uh, a cover of the song Oyer Kleine Lichtelech, the Hanukkah song. And we decided to sort of create a version of that. Um, and that was like our, our first kind of real collaboration together. And it was very sort of successful. It got shared a bunch of times. People were kind of, you know, having conversations around it. And it was a way for me to talk about uh, Morris Rosenfeld and to also talk about modern politics, which I think Rosenfeld was trying to talk about at the time in which I was trying to talk about by, by using his song. Um, I think after that, we sort of went, went on a process of refining and discovering who we are as musicians and as listeners and figuring out how to make a sound that incorporates all the different aspects of our musical lives. Both of us listen to and play different kinds of music. And so trying to find the balance between all of those uh, became a challenge, but I think it's... It's kind of what we've worked towards and has inspired us. And so we've come from, you know, background of classical music, from klezmer music, from Yiddish songs, uh, ranging to, you know, listening to disco and funk and other types of popular music. Yeah, it's really funny, like not even that long ago. I remember it like it happened yesterday. Um, I had just gotten off the commuter train um, from Boston and I remember thinking, okay, I have to make this important phone call. I have to come out to Dimitri, uh, somebody who not only enjoys pop music, but who wants to write pop music in Yiddish. <laughs> I, I remember this phone call. Anthony said, actually, I think I'm a pop singer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about all that. But, <laughs> but we knew that we, we enjoyed pop music. And we enjoyed it in the way that we enjoyed other kinds of music. We wanted to create a sort of music where we could have all the things that we enjoyed. Yiddish poetry, the Yiddish language, classical music, uh, traditional Ashkenazi Jewish music, and pop music. We wanted a place where we could have it all. And we had to create that place for ourselves. So that's kind of what we've been doing. 
So I have to ask, how hard was that? Because, I mean, you have a lot of different things going on that you thread together, and it feels really cohesive in the presentation, and it feels like it belongs together, and yet it's so surprising that it does. So I have, I'm kind of of two minds on this. On the one hand, creating this, like any kind of music, it always is way harder than it seems. Like going in, you know, I, I listen to a lot of popular music, and you don't hear all the, you know, all the details. It just sort of sounds like one whole. But then when you go and try and create it, actually there's so much there that like you need to think through every little, you know, every second of that song is planned out and thought through. And so we've you know done a lot of exploring what that you know what that looks like. On the other hand, it's sort of the easiest thing in that we're just trying to be true to ourselves, and um, you know a lot of it has just been stripping away what we think of what we had thought of as sort of the music that we should be playing and really going towards the music that we wanted to play. And so that part from that perspective is easy. It's funny. Like I always had an appreciation for pop music, but when you try to sit down and actually write a pop song, it moves from appreciation to it's some serious work to actually make something that sounds good that people will actually want to listen to. I mean, it's one thing to be, you know, this austere artist, you know, on a hill making music, you know, that sounds the way that it sounds regardless of who the audience is. It's another thing to actually make music that that you feel people are going to want to listen to, to make a hook, you know, to make a beat that sounds good, but also keeps the integrity of the language, right? I think one of the most sort of revolutionary things for me in this project was figuring out how to stretch Yiddish, um, how to stretch the sounds of Yiddish into into pop forms. I mean, into runs, into roulades, into these sort of things which we're used to hearing in English, but we don't hear maybe so much in, in the Yiddish language. Like, how do I turn Yiddish into a language that's, that sounds like it makes sense in pop? Can you speak a little bit, the program that you did, let's talk a little bit more about that. So for the listeners who didn't get to be here, unfortunately for you, um, <laughs> listeners, uh, it's based on um, translations, uh, well, you do the translations of Yiddish poets, mm-hmm. modern Yiddish poets. Um, it's really strong work. Um, and you. again, you play against it with, I know, against is probably the wrong word. Um, again, there's this sort of seamless marriage that takes place um, with two things that are similar, but not similar. Mm-hmm. So let me know a little bit about the process and how you found your way to the poetry. Well, I'll start with how I found my way to the poetry. So last year, um, I went on a trip to Belarus and Poland uh, with the Yiddishkeit organization based out of L.A. And for about a year, we were comprehensively educated about the history and culture of Jewish Eastern Europe and its co-territorial peoples. And then after that education, we went to the places that we studied, and we got to like physically interact with the places where, you know, for the most part, Yiddish culture was born. So the act of being in these places where this poetry was written, where it was performed, was just immensely inspirational to me. And that's what led me to come back from Eastern Europe and start 
setting of this poetry to to music because I was just inspired by by the poetry. I was also inspired by the modernity of the poetry. Because I was in these places, it made the world um, that these poets and the poetry represented feel so present that I felt like I was in a moment. And I think I am in a moment. I think a lot of people who were born in the 20th century, we are actually still in the moment of this poetry. We're still living in a world that has a lot of the same boundaries and a lot of the same strictures that, that their world had. Um, being in relationship to the poetry in that way just made me want to become a part of it because it felt like it was already a part of me. And that's what sort of, of led me to, to start working with the poetry. Were you surprised at the, how modern it is? I mean, I know that for me, he, hearing this poetry, being able to read it in translation because I don't read in Yiddish, it's incredible that it was written when it was written and that this, you know, we think of the language. And, and I just came out of part of your talk. I missed a lot of it. Um, and you talked about how you kind of edited out any poetry that had, and why don't you talk a little bit about this? Because I think <laughs> it, it speaks to the fact that we think that all of this, this literature, this poetry is all this very quaint folkloric stuff. And right. there is just real work right. there. Here's the deal. I love the folkloric stuff. Mm -hmm. I do. There's an immense amount of color. I just, I love it. I really do. And that's sort of like the first part of the music and the text that I performed were very mm -hmm. strongly in that world. You know, a world of melancholic yeshiva bachers, <laughs> chazans, you know, weddings, that sort of thing. Um, but for this particular project, I specifically wanted to find contemporary poets who were talking about contemporary life um, and were expressing themselves in ways that we could understand directly. I don't think it's an accident that the first poet who I ever set with Celia Dropkin, because she's such an amazing writer um, who's able to create these modern arresting images which I think you know as a as a composer are, are just exciting to to express through music so I really lucked out in encountering Celia Dropkin and I don't think I'm like the only one like there's like a Celia Dropkin renaissance I mean there's um there's Charming Hostess right they're like there's so many other people who make music in Yiddish who also are, like, all about Suya Dropkin, so it's not a surprise that she's, you know, become popular of late. Um, she was a real renegade in her own right, being the only woman in a group of, like, Yiddish poets. I mean, you see these pictures of her, and there's all of these men, you know, it's a very beardy crew, and... She's just sitting there in the middle of it, like a real, like a real badass, if I could use that <laughs> word. <laughs> and it's like you want to know who she is and, and what she's doing. One of the best ways to do that, of course, is to is to look at the poetry. And I would also, excuse me, also you touched on this briefly, but she, her poetry as well as the, the other poets we set, like just lends itself very well to being set to music. I mean, there's just rich images and emotions and. Uh, feelings that, you know, she does what she does, which is, you know, express herself in words, and we do what we do, which is express ourselves in music. 
and we can sort of lend our musical tastes to the images that she's uh, setting forth in her poetry. And that was going to be one of my next questions for you, Dimitri, is how, um, how easy was it, how hard was it to respond to, to the words and to do something with it in terms of your interpretation musically? I think it was it was pretty let's say easy to to do. I mean there's a lot there to work with. These poems have so many layers and so much depth um that there's it's 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 easy to find something to, to kind of glean out of that and to latch onto and put into a musical way and sort of when you're writing music around a poem you have to form your own imp- interpretation of that poem and then express that in music, right? Setting music is an interpretation of a poem. It's you. You can't leave it up to you know the listen. The listener can have some interpretation of your music, but at the end of the day, like you're trying, you're you found something in that poem that speaks to you that you're setting, and so um, you know these poems are all easy to understand and interpret. Um, you know, maybe we each find different things in them, but I found them to be uh, there was a lot there to work with. I just really briefly wanted to talk about. Um the first song that Dimitri ever sent me, which was um, set to Celia Dropkin's In Hamak. It was so gorgeous. I, you know, it's funny. Somehow, you know, there's a lot of sunlight in the poem, and somehow you managed to put the, the sunlight into the music of the poem, and you created this world um, just around this poem, which is very simple. It's not especially high-flown. Someone is in a hammock. They close their eyes and they see kind of, well, I guess it is slightly high-flown. They see these beautiful images, you know, behind their eyelids that remind them of, you know, Chinese letters. Um, But Dimitri's ability to kind of create that world was just so amazing to me that it felt, I felt so lucky not only to be kind of working with Dimitri, but to be also to be able to interpret his work. Um... And that's just the kind of amazing experiences we've been able to have working with this poetry. And the words that I attached to it when I was talking to somebody about it were, I mean, I felt as though it transported me. It's very visual, too. Um, I I felt I was in those places when when you're singing and and the music is accompanying it about, you know, the sky. Um, And then the just beautiful punctuation at the end of the poem. I love you. Yes. Yeah. it, as you say, it's simple, but that's testament to really good work because it's not in your face. It doesn't tell you, I'm constructing this, and you should be <laughs> impressed. Um, it just it feels as though they, these, these two things complement one another so well. Yeah, I, f- I feel like you know, I try and make it just, I know it's very trite, but you know, come from the heart. And just, it's a, for me, any kind of music that I do is really just a, me expressing my emotions in the language that I know best, uh, which is on a keyboard. So I'm going to back up in our conversation a little bit. You talked about coming out of the subway, I believe it was, and deciding <laughs> that you were going to be pop artist. You make this call. Would either of you have imagined that Yiddish would take you in this direction? Definitely not. Yeah, I want to say no. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony, you had already sort of immersed yourself in working in Yiddish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but this new direction certainly is far flung from where you were. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. 
I would say for me too. I I play a lot of klezmer music, um, and you know Yiddish song, but it up until then had nothing to do with what I was listening to. Well, I was listening to that too, but outside of that, it had nothing to do with what I was listening to. The funny thing is that I I think there are qualities to the music that we both enjoy that we've managed to find. Um, pop music that had those same qualities and we're trying to write music some of it in a pop style that also shares those qualities i feel like for me if you went through all of the things that i favorited in my itunes i think there's a through line i think there's a through line between the early music so we're talking like jean-philippe rameau and handel through the verdi and then the french stuff and then the disco. And that through line, by the way, is they all have the same chord progression. I mean, there's a chord progression I'm very fond of. <laughs> but it, uh, that's true, I think, of a lot of us. There's something inside your chord that yes. you respond to emotionally. Yeah. And... Yeah. And let me tell you, this chord progression, you find it in Jewish music all the time. All the time. Actually, there's a song that we have. Um... Do you remember the song that we performed yesterday where it was the prisoner who was singing to his beloved? Um, where I used the uh, yeah. yes, so the beloved sings back to the prisoner using Essischwinspet, and which is this beautiful Yiddish song I heard for the first time at Kles Canada in 2012, um, as a part of a memorial for Adrian Cooper, and something about that song, like hooked itself into my heart, and I knew that I had to use it. And it has this chord progression, of course. Um, and I ended up using it as, as kind of this phantom voice of a loved one who is distant and far away, but calling. Um, I don't know. I feel like in the music that, that we enjoy, there are these qualities. And we try, once again, we try to kind of bring all these qualities together all in one place so we can enjoy them all at the same time. I would, I would say also the work that we do has on one level a very deliberate quality about it where, like I was saying earlier, you know, every single moment is planned out and it's all the stuff that just seems like it fits together naturally. Like, that stuff doesn't fit naturally. You, we have to work super hard for that. But at the same time, you know, it's coming from a place of, like, this is who we are and what we know. And so if there, if this was two different people who had the same idea, something else would have come out for sure. Absolutely. And I, and I didn't mean to suggest that it was not no, no, easy. No. I, I always, in, in graphic design, I always think, or use this phrase, self-conscious, like it shouldn't look like you designed it. It should just yeah. work. Be, yeah. yeah. Um, and one, when there was something deliberate in there that I did want to ask you about, which is the use of some, I guess, sampled music which again was it's interesting because it it brings that thread in it brings that reference point but again it does it in a very um it, it works I, i'm searching for the word but uh, talk about that decision so I, i'll let anthony give his take too but for me kind of so much of what we do is creating these images of different worlds and the most literal way to do that is to take a snapshot of a different world and put it in your music and so that that's what we did. And we, in some of our songs, we found other musical worlds that kind of represented the type of world that we were trying to go for. And we just, you know, take that, fit it in, um, you know, and of course, working with samples, like it's there, it's not a straight shot either. Like that's a, a whole another boatload of work is finding something that remotely sounds like what you want it to do to be and then 
getting it to be actually what you want um, and then making that sound like it's you know part of the musical world of your song um, and so it's it's again it's just about finding that world that we want to be a part of and sort of attaching ourselves to it having like grown up like my my adolescence was very strongly in the 90s like it started in the 90s and it ended in the 90s um that was like as, as a decade it was a sampling free-for-all sampling was everywhere people sampled things all the time i think they did it as a kind of a, a shortcut to get to a particular feeling um of music from another time or to bring in another element almost like an an illusion um like a literary illusion that somebody would make um I never really knew what the possibilities of sampling were as far as Jewish music was concerned until I encountered so-called who is like a sampling genius. And then all of a sudden things sort of like hefted into view. And I always knew that I, I loved sampling, but I never really knew how to integrate it into my own music. And it's interesting um I have a record coming out called Convergence. It's a combination of African-American and Ashkenazi Jewish music from about 100 years worth of that music. And I realized looking back at some of those pieces that I put together, I was sampling, but I was trying to sample like in real life. So I would ask, <laughs> I would ask Redsky Pass to play a phrase over and over and over again. <laughs> What I think in my mind, what I was trying to do was like have them do it, and then I was going to chop it up, and then and like you know just sample them over and over again. So it was like I was manually trying to mm -hmm. sample um, because I had that sort of kind of aesthetic in my head, um, but I didn't know how to do it. Now that we're actually sampling, it's a lot. It's 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 a different kind of feel, but it, it's a, just a lot of fun, and it's great to bring in sounds because I feel like for people like just hearing certain kinds of sounds. Hearing, like, we started out um, our concert with this march, um, and there were a couple of samples. One sample, what was the Russian sample? Uh, it was a track from a singer, uh, Leonid Utyosov. Um, and it was just some song that he was doing that had a beautiful orchestral introduction that we pulled out and then, you know, fitted it to work with our uh, song. And then the other sample that was used that kind of made up the the, the march dun 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 was actually a a piece of music called the Birobijano March, which was um, a poem that was written by Itzik Pfeffer, um, and it's just an entire world of sounds and music, and it, we just thought like you know if we start out that way, all of a sudden we're kind of inviting the, the audience into our world. This is our sonic world. Like these people and these sounds actually influence what we do, and the best way to kind of get you to where we are to hear the music that's in our heads is by just directly taking you there. It made me want to go home and swim at night listening to your music. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> Very languid, if I may. All right. It's just, um, so <laughs> quickly, thank you um, for joining me in the studio. And where are you at now? And when when can we get this music? And where can we get your existing music? Huh. That's a complicated question. So you can get it in the future. You can get it in the future. Yes. <laughs> this is this podcast is a time capsule to future listeners who will be able to get this music. So we'll we'll repot we'll recap. Yeah. We'll. Rerun this with a URL in the future. Yes. Yeah. Mention von der Zukunft. 
I'm thinking it's a priority for us to record because yes. that definitely has to happen. Um, so that's going to happen sometime down the pike. Um, not so far down the pike. Not so far down the pike. Uh, we have. It's funny. We have earlier versions of songs that we performed yesterday on YouTube. You can watch them now, and it, it's funny because, um, you know, there's one song uh, in the friend. Uh, Leib Naidu song and there's a version of it on YouTube and it's very romantic and very kind of like art songy and then there's a version we did yesterday which is like um, more of a dance hall kind of poppy island vibes you know you can definitely walk down the beach in a bikini to this song so they're very different <laughs> styles <laughs> because we're like we're, ch- we're we're like going through this change and it's great because I mean it, I think we're I at least personally feel like I'm at a, a and creative apex, like, as far as, like, what what we can do and, like, how we can kind of change things up. And I think this sort of speaks to what I was saying earlier, and I know we're getting off topic from the question, but it speaks to what I was saying earlier of this process of sort of finding ourselves musically and uh, going from what we thought we were allowed to do to just breaking down the barriers and doing what we who we actually are. Yeah. We'll keep breaking down barriers, and I think the fact that you picked a lot of poets who broke down barriers... Yeah, uh, yeah, is a good thing. Um, So uh, (laughs) we look forward to tomorrow when you're gonna perform. um, Ladino meets what? What are we calling this concert? Yiddish meets Ladino, Ladino. I believe it is. Yeah. Great. Um, And please go on the recording studio, not not the schmooze studio. Go, yeah. Uh, Another. It'll happen. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Thanks again. Uh, Keep up the wonderful work. Thank you. Bye. You've been listening to The Schmooze, a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. My name is Sarah Bleichfeld, Visitor Services and Public Programs Manager at the Yiddish Book Center. For more information about this podcast and to subscribe, visit yiddishbookcenter.org. While you're there, I recommend listening to Episode 84, Aaron Lansky's August 2014 conversation with Devin Narr about the origins of the Ladino language and his work collecting Ladino books. Until next time, be well, be healthy. Zeigesund!